Thanks. Uh, thanks, Micah. I've, I've heard you for years call your other friends your confidants. So it took, what, five, six years now? And now I'm your confidant? That's cool. That's cool. But, uh, man, uh, that was a powerful communion also, Ty and JJ. Um, I've, I've never noticed that scripture where she says, I'm your, I am my Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. I, I love that. Um, and there's going to be some parts in this, in this lesson that definitely echo that same, that same heart or the opposite of that same heart, but we're going to be pointing towards that. So we're going to be in Genesis 34 today. And, uh, Dinah and the Shechemites, probably the darkest chapter in all of Genesis. And, um, yeah, so the Bible, it'll show <laughs> ugly things and it'll show pretty things. It'll talk about righteousness. It'll talk about unrighteousness. Um, it's very transparent. The Bible is very honest. And because the Bible is very honest and we have ugly stories like what we're going to read, uh, we can actually trust the Bible. Right. It's yeah. not all flowers and rainbows. Sometimes it is pretty, pretty ugly. Um, and also the fact that it's honest also shows us that we as humans, we need God, right? That we can't get it right without some help. So I'm going to start in chapter 33. Actually, I'm going to pray first. Um, Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these crazy, crazy, crazy stories. Um, God, I just pray that our hearts will be soft today. I pray that uh, you speak through me, that your Holy Spirit speak through me and that your Holy Spirit speak to each each one of us through through this story, Father. Uh, yeah, there's some things that we just don't understand why they happen. And uh, I just pray that you guide us through that confusion, guide us through those questions. I know that you're merciful when we ask questions. So I thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. So we begin. So we're content. We begin and we continue uh, 20 years after last week's sermon. Right. So. Last week's sermon, we talked about how Jacob and Esau, they kind of split up. Uh, Jacob stole Esau's blessing. He goes far, far away. He goes all the way to Padanaram, which is his father's country. Um, And now 20 years later, he's had 13 kids. He has four wives. He has plenty of flocks. He's super successful. Uh, He's been working for Laban for 20 years, and he's extremely blessed. Uh, He on his way back, he wrestles with a man or angel, God. He wrestles with God and God gives him a new name and pops his hip out of place. Um, And now he's called Israel because he wrestles with God. Right. And he's been blessed. And so the next day or shortly after that, he meets Esau. And I'm going to read from chapter 33, 12. He meets Esau and he, he reconciles with Esau and he's like, oh, it's all good. It's all good. But Esau is like, hey, let's. Continue with me. So verse 33, verse 12 says, Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they're driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant. While I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and seer. Esau said, well, then let me just leave some of my men with you. Why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. 
That is why the place is called Sukkoth. So this is a little bit of deception. Again, he sees his brother for the first time in 20 years. And I have a little map of it. First time in 20 years. The last time he, he lied and stole his brother's blessing. Second time, he's like, oh, I won't I won't continue with you. I, I, it's too slow. When really he was just going to go. He goes the opposite way. So you see what just happened. Oops. He goes the opposite way. His brother thought they were both going to go down here. And he's like, no, I can't go with you. I'm going to I'll just take it slow. But instead, he just goes north and then he ends up. Oh, well, <laughs> really like hugging. But uh, but yeah, he goes the opposite way and he goes to Sukkot. 20 years and he's still lying to his brother. Wow. He that. So the thing that bugs me about Jacob in this story, in this particular part, is that he doesn't actually have to lie. He could have just told him verse or Genesis chapter 31. He could have just told him that God told him, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. He could have just told his brother, I'm going back to Bethel. Right. He, that's all he had to say. He could have told him, hey, look at what God showed me. He could have told him, hey, look, my name is Israel now. He could have told him, hey, look at what God has planned for our future of our family line. Right. Could you imagine if they had gone back together to Bethel and just started a whole new thing together? But instead, he lies. Now they're all separate after they hug like that. Um, Yeah. And so I just I can't help but wonder, like, why lie, Jacob? Why is Jacob always lying? He didn't have to lie. He could have just shared his faith with him. He could have just shared, hey, this is why I'm limping. He, he literally just could have said that. Why lie? Jacob, he was a pathological liar. And as I was reading this, I was like, okay, why do people lie? And I looked it up. Google, why do people lie? Number one reason, number one reason why people lie is low self-esteem. And so then I'm like, okay, so Jacob lies because Jacob has low self-esteem probably. Why does he have low self-esteem? And then I go back in his story and I remember, oh, his father, his father never really accepted him. Jacob has daddy issues. If we remember, Jacob was the second favorite son of his dad. He was the second born son. He's the less masculine son, the less useful son. His brother was this big, hairy, mighty hunter, right? And he's just, you know, he's in the books. And his dad, he didn't get that love and acceptance from his dad that he really needed. There's something really, really valuable about the love and acceptance from your father. It's extremely important. I'm sure all of us can think about some person we know, whether it's maybe us, right, who even into full adulthood, you still struggle with something that maybe your dad did or didn't do or your dad said or didn't say. We really, really need that. Um, So some scary statistics about fatherhood or the lack of fatherhood. Uh, from the America First policy. Um, so in America, this is in America. In America actually has double double the average rate of fatherless homes in the world, wow. right? So like the, the world average, we have double the world average. Wow. And uh, so here's some statistics. Children who grow up in a home without a father, 85% of youth in prison come from homes without a father. 90% of homeless and runaway children come from homes without a father. 
The fatherless are also 40% more likely to repeat a class and 70% more likely to drop out of school. 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. And 71% of children who abuse substances come from fatherless homes. But here's the here's the crazy part is that at-risk youth, right, if you put a mentor in their life, then that drops down to 46%. So they're 46% less likely to abuse drugs in a home or with a mentor. So this tells us every single little child, especially boys, but every child is wired to cling to their father, to want to be with their father, to want to, to like their father, and to be liked by their father. Every little kid is wired for that fatherly affirmation. And so Jacob, he misses that fatherly acceptance and that fatherly love when he's a kid, and it changes his personality. It changes his personality. He has this low self-esteem, and that low self-esteem causes him to lie, to deceive, to get over on people by just dishonesty, right? So fathers, I'm not a dad, but I'm a kid. (laughs) I'm a child. Uh, Don't discount the value of an I love you. Don't discount the value of an I'm proud of you at the right moments. It can change. It can change a kid's life. And then also, how do we confront a liar when we when we see a liar? Right. Uh, and this is just stuff I, I was just researching just about lying. Uh, we, we don't keep any good friends by playing the gotcha game, by doing the one upmanship. Right. When we catch someone in a lie, by trying to destroy somebody if they're lying. We don't keep any friends like that. Uh, we should do it with compassion. If we're going to confront a liar, we should do it with compassion. Do it with sincerity. Do it with concern. Say, oh, I think maybe we should work this out. Maybe we're missing some details. Do it with compassion. But let's back to the story. Maybe the map will come back. Um, so, yeah, he goes to Sukkot, Jacob, and he buys land. It says he buys land. What is he doing buying land? He's supposed to be going to Bethel. He goes and he buys land, but then he puts a tent on the land. So he's like, ah. I'm just going to stay here for a while. I'm not going to build a home, but I'm just going to put some tents here. And then he puts up an altar. So we see he's kind of compromising with what God told him to do. He's supposed to be going down to Bethel, back to Beersheba, Hebron. But he's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay. And a compromise also is a lie to ourself. Right. So not only does he lie to other people, he's lying to himself. He says, oh, I'll just be here for a little while. He's going in the right direction, but he falls short. Of that right of the full obedience and we all know partial obedience is still disobedience and that partial obedience is going to kind of set up the just nonsense that happens in Genesis chapter 34 so now we're in Genesis chapter 34 let's start reading I'm just gonna go through this I don't have like point one point two point three I just we're just gonna go through it and kind of talk through what we read so Genesis chapter 34, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. So he goes and tells his dad, he rapes a girl and then goes and tells his dad, hey, get her as my wife. Um... So just a minute ago, I was talking about the lack of fatherly acceptance. This is an example of the abuse of fatherly acceptance, right? Father, accepting your child does not mean accepting evil, 
right? right? So as a parent, loving and affirming your child does not mean loving and affirming evil. And if we're not a parent, as a leader, as a leader, loving and serving your people does not mean loving and serving evil. There's a difference. So if you're a leader and the people you're responsible for are doing something wrong, you have a responsibility to let them know what right is and what wrong is and to help those people do what is right. Right. This father was not doing that. He was just, "Ah, it's my son. Anything goes, you know, that is not uh, that is not fatherly love. And so he. Yeah, yeah. Um, We could ask so many questions about Hamor and Shechem, right? Like, how did you raise your son? Right. To think that it's okay to take advantage of young girls just because they're out. Right. How did you raise your son to let his lust govern his actions? Where is his self-control? And then we can ask questions of Shechem, say, like, where are your friends? Like, did you have any friends to say, hey, stop, leave her alone? There's so many questions. And I, I, I did have other questions like we can blame. And usually in a, in a situation like this, there's multiple sides who are like blaming the girl sometimes and blaming the guy sometimes or blaming the cops or blaming the club or blaming whatever whenever this situation happens. And I think I'm just going to blame Shechem in this situation. I'm not going to ask Dinah any questions. Um, but here's another thing, though. It says that his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. That was in verse, what verse was that? Verse three. It says he loved her and he spoke tenderly to her. We can't call that love because he violates her the verse before. Right. That's not love. Just because someone speaks to us nicely and tenderly doesn't mean that they love us. Just because someone has lookalike fruits of the spirit does not mean it's from the spirit of God. Lookalike fruits of the spirit. And that's why it's really, really important uh, not to date in a void, not to date in isolation when we date. Right. We need to bring those people around your church family, bring those people around your friends, your family, someone who's going to be able to look at it and say, oh, no, no. Uh, Yeah, Jamal just turned really red just there. But it's it's true. Like we cannot date and avoid because it is it's scientifically proven that in the first 12 to 18 months of a relationship, your dopamine levels and your serotonin levels are so high that it almost like eclipses your judgment. And you you are not in love. You're in infatuation. Right. That is a scientific like study. Right. And so Shechem, he did not have love for her the day he saw her. He didn't have patience. He didn't have kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. What else about love? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Right. Shechem did not have any of these things. Love always protects. Shechem did not protect. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Shechem did not love her. He had lust and he had privilege and he had infatuation. Um, Attraction is not real love. Attraction is not real love. Attraction is not real love. Just going to keep saying that. All right. So let's continue. Um, Here's a new picture. Let's go. All right. So verse five, let's continue. It says, when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So he did nothing about it until they came home. He did nothing about it. 
Then Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what happened. They were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. So this is an example of fumbled leadership. Uh, We would say he fumbled the bag in, in my generation. Jacob fumbled the bag. He didn't do anything. He's the father. He didn't do anything. We need him to lead. Right. He didn't go. He could have as soon as he heard it, he could have gathered his his sons from the field, ran out, said, hey, hey, this is what happened. This is what we're going to do as a family. Right. This is how we're going to react as God's chosen people. Right. He did not do that. He didn't lead. He let his sons find out by TMZ coming and telling them, oh, look at what happened. Right. And his sons, they come in and they're they're angry. Hey, dad, we need you to say something. Hey, dad, we need your instruction. Hey, dad, our emotions are about to take over. But he didn't do anything. Jacob did not do anything. He fumbled his leadership opportunity right there. Verse eight says, but Hamor said to them. So Hamor is talking, right? My son Shechem has a heart, has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. So here, yeah, we got Hamor talking. The unrighteous father speaking. The righteous father, he's deciding he's going to be shy right now, right? Not saying anything. And uh, Christians, I feel like we do this too much, right? We let the loudest person in the room be the unrighteous person, right? We let evil be the loudest voice in the room. And Maybe we don't have to stand on a table and be the loudest, be obnoxious, and I don't know. But we can't be the most quiet voice in the room. Right? When is truth going to be the loudest voice in the room? When is justice going to be the loudest voice in the room? When is purity going to be the loudest voice in the room? Come on. Come on. Preach it, bro. If people are going to be bold about evil, then we can be bold about good. I really believe that. If people can write articles filled with hate, we can write articles filled with love. If people can make songs about frivolous sex and drugs and rock and roll, we can make songs about faithfulness, right? If people can make posts about evil, we can make posts about good. If people can tweet nasty stuff, we can tweet positivity. We can tweet scriptures, right? If people can run businesses greedily, we can run businesses with integrity. If people, and I know if if you work around men, If people can brag about their sexual exploits, I can brag about my pure friendships. I can brag about my pure relationships, right? If people can brag about how they take revenge and how they get people back, I can brag about, oh, I forgave someone. It was really hard, but I've forgiven. Look at at all these things that I've reconciled with people. I can talk about that. Why are we not as loud, right? The evil is so loud in our society. And the world desperately needs us Christians to step up and just, just say, like, the basics. Simeon and Levi, they desperately needed their dad to just walk out, just walk out in the field and say, thou shalt not kill. And just that if that's all he said, it would have been better than saying nothing. Um, verse 11, let's continue. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the, the gift I am to bring you as great as you'd like. I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. He never calls her Dinah. Probably doesn't even know her name. Uh, verse 13. 
Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. Now, because, well, I don't know if their dad would do any less deceitful right now, but we see that they're replying deceitfully, right? And they're kind of, they probably learned from their dad. I'm sorry, this is such, I feel like it's such a negative sermon. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's an ugly story and I can only have, this is my reaction. But, um, so yeah, they replied deceitfully as I speak to Shechem. Let's continue, verse 14. They said to him, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who's not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and we'll become one people with you. But if you do not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Okay, so right there in verse 17, we'll take our sister and go. So they have, they know that that is an option, right? They, they know that's an option. They could just go. They could just get out of this nasty place. But in that situation, it's probably hard for them, right, with their pride. I mean, it's, it's, it would be hard for anyone if your sister was wrong in that way to just walk away. But to walk away, you have to have trust that God will avenge. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. <clears throat> God says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, do not say I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. We have to trust. We have to trust that God will avenge when these things happen. Right. And they even if those those scriptures came after when they were. But they have examples from their family tree of God avenging. We remember Sarah and Rebecca when they were in when their husbands gave them as their sisters or whatever. That was such a weird. But Genesis 12, 17. When Sarah was with, with Pharaoh, it says, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Right. So they would know that. That's their great grandma. Hopefully they'd know that story. And then again, right, it says, but God came to Abimelech in, in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. So that was just a warning to Abimelech. And then even later, when it was Rebecca in Abimelech's hands, uh, this isn't on the screen, but it says Abimelech, he had learned his lesson by by then. And it says, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might as well slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Right. So he had, he learned by by that time. But we see these examples of God protecting their great grandma and their grandma. How much more would God have avenged the rape of Dinah? How much more? The question is, are we trustworthy enough to believe that God would avenge, that God will take care of it? Right. Instead of becoming a vigilante. Right. Vigilantism, it comes from not trusting the justice system. Right. Batman, he puts on the suit and stuff because Gotham PD, they're not (laughs) they're not getting it done. Right. But we have to trust. I mean, that's common in in man-made systems. Right. Things slip through the cracks in the justice system all the time. But in God's justice system, things don't slip through the cracks. Right. Right. People will pay the consequences for their sins in God's justice system. And we have to trust that. We have to trust God's justice system. Let's continue in verse 18. 
says their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem, the young man who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So this this shows how backwards the city is because it says Shechem, Shechem the rapist, was the most honored in all the family. The most honored. This guy. So this city, we can see, it's no better than Sodom and Gomorrah when it comes to morals. And I think sometimes when a place is that bad, right, when it's just Sodom, maybe we should just stay out of it. Unless God, like, specifically calls us, hey, go live in this city, go minister to the city, plant a ho- put a home in there. I think we should just stay out, right, so we don't become a victim and so that we don't become just like them, right? You don't have to join the Crips <laughs> to minister to the Crips, right? You don't have to join the Bloods to minister to the Bloods. Um, yeah, you can go there. I, this is what JD, and I talked to JD about this point because I felt like it was kind of iffy, you know? It's good to go, right? You can go minister to Sodom, but living in Sodom, it might be dangerous. It's kind of like quicksand, right? You can go, you can step on the quicksand, but don't stay too long lest you fall in, lest you become a victim, lest you become sand, right? And so we got to be really careful when we are in areas like that. And yeah, we don't want to become an evangelistic vigilante and kind of put our family, put ourselves in danger. Um, okay, let's continue verse 20. It says, so, so Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of the city. These men are friendly towards us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised, as they are. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city, all the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. So, With this, we can see that for them, it seemed like a really great idea, right? For the Shechemites, this is great, right? You see all, look how wealthy these people are, right? We can, we can have their livestock, their property, all their other animals, they're going to become ours, right? Look at all that. All of it is open to us. So the Shechemites, it's a great deal. For the Israelites, it's not really a great, a good deal, right? Are you, I mean, are you sure that you want to intermarry with these people, Right. This family that thinks it's okay to take advantage of a young woman and then have a marriage and a party and stuff afterwards. Like, is that what you want to marry into? And God also God had told them, don't intermarry. God had told them, hey, way back. Stop. Don't do it. Don't intermarry. You're going to go in this land. Don't intermarry. Now they're seeing reasons why God warned them. Yeah. They're seeing it for their own eyes. One thing, Shechem and Hamor, they never apologized. They never apologized at all. They didn't acknowledge at all that this was an evil thing. And that's how it can be sometimes. Sometimes your conscience can get so seared by sin that you don't, you don't even register. You don't even register. And I think we can we can be capable of that, too, of the mindset of Hamor and Shechem, right? Uh, right? We can go around and, oh, the cussing in this movie, it doesn't bother me. It's all good. The nudity in this movie, it doesn't bother me. Oh, I'm cool. I'm cool. Well, we kind of think, we kind of act like that's cool, but that's actually not that cool, right? Because Christ, Christ, it would alarm him, right? It's, it's not that cool. A Christ conscience 
has alarms going off when sin is happening. A Christ conscience has alarms going off when we when it sees injustice, when it sees deceit, when it sees sexually explicit things, verbally explicit things. A Christ conscience alarms are going off and those alarms should go off in ourself. Right. That's what a Christ conscience. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It has alarms. Oh, I was just prideful. Oh, I was just lustful. Oh, I was just rude. Oh, I was just deceitful. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the alarm. It's the alarm. That's the Holy Spirit. And so the devil, he loves. That's the sound of the police. Um, That's the sound of the police. All right. Um, Okay. um, Sorry. Yeah. Speaking of explicit music, right? But the devil, the devil wants us to be desensitized, right? That is the devil's goal. He, he almost has like, it's like a, uh, what do they call it? Like side hustles, like um, passive income for the devil. Because he just sets up this stuff in society and it just desensitizes Christians. And he doesn't, he can just sit back while we get desensitized to sin, to evil, to deceit. We just get de- desensitized. But we don't realize that that desensitate desensitive. Okay, here we go. Desensitive. Desensitize. Got it. Got it. That desensitization is actually the Holy Spirit being dampened. The conviction of the Holy Spirit being dampened. That's why it says fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. How small can our candle get sometimes? We are called to be set apart from the world. Uh, They said in this chapter, they said, let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. Right. But we are meant to be set apart from the world. So the problem with this is it's not just Shechemites becoming Israelites, but it's also Israelites becoming Shechemites. And eventually they'll get absorbed and they'll become indistinguishable. That's the problem. Right. And that's another thing that we as Christians can kind of like glorify, like, oh, I'm a Christian, but you, you know, you can't really tell I'm just like anybody else. Right. Yeah. We can kind of act like that's cool, too. But that's also not cool. That's actually not that cool. Right. There's this book I read a while back called Set Apart. It's called Set Apart. And uh, there's a quote in it. It says we must. Let's try again. All right. Just take my word for it. All right. So there's a quote in it. This is it's called Set Apart by R. Kent Hughes. And it talks about this topic. Right. He says we must lay this to heart. A worldly church cannot and will not reach the world. The church must be distinct from the world to reach the world. We must set ourselves apart to God if we hope to reach the world. In a, in a word, the only hope for us in the lost world is a holy church. We have to be set apart. We can't look like the Canaanites. We have to be distinct, right? All right, so let's continue. Verse 25. <clears throat> All right, so it says, Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, uh, the circumcisees were still in pain. Uh, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword, 
and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. All right, so they just plunder the city. Simeon and Levi, they plundered the city. They've murdered the men. They've taken women who were wives. They had took children who had fathers, and now they're, father, now they're fatherless. They made them slaves for their own uses. They, they step over these dead bodies, and they take the possessions of these people and bring them, right? Their animals, their possessions, everything. So their sister is abused, and they repay this evil seven times 70. Wow. This is clearly this is clearly wrong, obviously, right? But then they're going to justify their actions. Let's continue reading. Verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We're few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should he have, should he have treated our, our sister like a prostitute? Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Now, are they right in feeling upset that their sister was defiled? Absolutely. Yes. Are they right in how they rectified it? Absolutely not. Right. And Jacob, his rebuke to them wasn't even right. The first time he opens his mouth, this story, right? his rebuke wasn't even right. In response to this massacre. Right. He, he seems to only be concerned with himself. And the danger of revenge against his small family, he says, oh, I'm, I'm few in number. I'm few in number. There's no concern for right and wrong from Jacob. There's no concern for God's righteousness from Jacob. There's no concern for the death of the innocent people from Jacob. Now, can I say that I would act any differently if it was my little sister or if it was my daughter or if it was my big sister or my nieces? I, I don't know if I could say that. Um, let me see if I have time. This is a silly story. I kind of had time. So I have a little sister. She's five years younger than me. And uh, when she went into high school, she got her first boyfriend. And I knew her. I knew the boyfriend. Right. And uh, I was in college at this time. I was a disciple at this time, too. But uh, <laughs> he uh, so I knew him from football and wrestling and stuff. And so I, I hit him up. I was like, hey, I heard you're uh, dating my little sister. What's up? And he's like, yeah, I am. And I, and I said, uh, OK, I just want you to uh, know something. And this is how I handled it is I told him. I said, hey, I want you to read this scripture for me and tell me what you think. And he's like, OK, OK. And I sent him this this story. <laughs> I said, go and read Genesis chapter 34 and tell me what you think. And he was <laughs> and he and he was like, OK. And he read this story and I was like, did you read it? And he's like, yeah. I said, what'd you think about it? <laughs> and uh, he's like, it's pretty intense. I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Amen. Yeah. So can I say I'm any different than Simeon and Levi? No, I cannot say that. I am a fool as well. 
Um, but here's the cool thing about Christianity. That's my old nature. That is my former nature. Um, Ephesians 4.22. This is a good. Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former ways of life to put off your old self. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's my old nature, right? But in my new nature... Christ, he gives me a new nature. Christ gives me a new nature. It's not us. I didn't create no new nature. Christ can give me a new nature. In that nature, I can trust him. The vengeance is his in my new nature. I can put my rest and my hope in Christ, in my new nature. Even where it comes to the point where someone wrongs me or wrongs my little sister or wrongs someone I love, I can put it in God's hands, right? That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be a leader I'm not going to be a parent. I'm not going to be whatever. But I can put it in God's hands. Right. In my new nature, I don't need to be deceitful. I can be honest. Right. In my new nature, I can take that low self-esteem and bring it to God. And I can find esteem in God. I can find confidence in God. I can find that love and acceptance and affirmation from God where I might not have found it in the world. Simeon and Levi and even Jacob and even if you go back up to Abraham, right, their dishonesty, it affected all these generations afterwards. So Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, you never hear about the Simeonites, right? And that's because they were dissolved. They were dissolved into the tribe of Judah. And then the Levites, they only kind of survived because they were faithful in the time of Moses. But even then they were scattered and they didn't have their own land. So this affects many, many generations afterwards. I just want to end on this. Be careful what you do, remembering that you set the example for others. Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Hamor, Shechem, all of them did a terrible job, this whole story. I don't think anyone was a star character. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, this was their worst day. And it was all at Dinah's expense. It's all at Dinah's expense. She's not only a victim, but she's also, at this point, she's a widow, too, at a young age. So whether or not it's with our kids, our loved ones, our neighbors, our friends, um, we do set an example with our life. So be careful with where you are. Be careful with what you do. And remember that in Christ, you are a new creation. Thanks. Amen. Wow. Amen. Only person I know who can bring up T Pain and still have a good sermon. No one got that reference. Okay, okay, never mind. <laughs> Appreciate it. Don't listen to that song. Woo woo. That's the sound of the like. Don't 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 listen to that song. <laughs> oh, that's not T Pain. Wow, wow. Okay, that's my own gen- Okay, okay. Let me shut up then. <laughs> can I ask my worship? No, but seriously, Nathan. Thank you so much. Because the whole time I was thinking about at Dinah's expense, if Jacob had never gone that way. It literally, I can connect to Jacob so much because I am so passive in so much of the things that I do. And it's like, wow. And sometimes we can look at Jesus as like, oh, he was so gentle. He was so calm. But it was like, no, Jesus was also firm in where he stood. He boldly, and I love that you said, well, it's not that when you have to flip tables, but it's like, are we bold enough to stand for the justice that he has called us to stand for? Because the consequence of even being passive aggressive 
or even passive just to avoid certain things, we don't know who's going to get hurt. So thank you so much, Nathan. That was so Alright guys, um, we're going to end this service with Cornerstone if we can stand up.